Welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artist relationship with anxiety, offering insight and inspiration. I'm your host, Allison Schaff. My guest today is Tyler C. Picconi, also known as Drag Queen Magenta Million. They are a queer identifying writer, singer, self-help, and education enthusiast. They're currently working with the Rutgers Alternate Route Program, helping teachers to gain standard certification in New Jersey. Tyler's next endeavor is a podcast of their own, centering on emotions and how they can be healthfully discussed. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. Tyler and I met working on a concert of a new musical a couple months ago, and unbeknownst to me, Tyler is not pursuing a career as a professional performer. Now, Tyler, you are a very gifted and talented singer. What decisions went into not pursuing a professional career? So I've been performing for a long time, since I was a little kid, and I come from a family of seasoned performer. So my mom has been performing on stage since she was in high school. Um, my dad has been in a band since he was in high school. My brother has also been performing since he was a little, little kid. Um, so it was always a big part of our lives. Whereas I think a lot of families, um, maybe like sports are a big thing or I don't know, like, like outdoor activities, like going hiking or going on trips for us, like theater, it was always about like doing a show. So I, so I went through life, like really, I really enjoyed being on stage. I really enjoyed performing. Um, and there were many times where I did think about it, but from a very young age, I liked teaching. So when I was a little kid, I used to like play little, like, like how some people play house. Like I would, like I was like playing teacher very much. Like I would like make up assignments and then grade those assignments. So I, and I always had like an interest in that. So every year I would change the grades. So I'd be like in second grade and I'd be like, Oh, I want to be a second grade teacher. And then like when I was in fourth grade, I wanted to teach fourth grade. But so I think that informed me for a long time. And as much as I liked performing, I just all there always like there was this like certainty where I was like, no, I want to be a teacher. That's what I want to do. So I didn't really consider it until I was much older. And when I was like late in high school picking colleges to apply to, I was like, wait, do I want to be a performer? Is that what I want to do? And I talked it over with my dad. And it was just one of those things where I, my brother is a professional performer. I've seen him. I've, I know a lot of people who do it professionally. I've seen how difficult it is. And I just never felt like I had the drive to compensate for that. You know what I mean? Like I never felt like I want to be intensely passionate about what I'm doing. Not obviously not every minute of every day, but as much as I love performing, I never imagined that like being a performer for my life was something that would fulfill me. Cool. Um, so tell us a little bit about your relationship with anxiety. We are very close. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I feel like I had two phases of anxiety, right? So as a, as a kid, I had anxiety just about a lack of control, but as a kid, you don't have the language to, to know that. Right. Um, so growing up, I always, I would just get really freaked out about conflict it scared me so much. So anytime conflict was possible, I would get like all like tight. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once I went to college, I had a lot more control of my environment. 
because especially like in my um, junior and senior year, because I was an RA. So I had my own room. Like I had my car on campus. Like if I needed, if I needed like fresh air, I could take a drive and go somewhere. If I needed to be in my room by myself, I could do that. So I think at that point, my anxiety really shifted and it became more focused on um, generally how other people saw me, specifically how men saw me in a romantic concept. So I became very obsessed. I always, like, since I came out, I had always been very kind of zeroed in on, like, oh, I want a relationship. And -hmm. I think because it was so difficult for me to find one, every time one would, like, like, start to kind of form, I would just, like, crush it. Um, And I think that just, it, like, the anxiety fed the self-destruction of the relationship fed the anxiety. Of course. So then... um, as I've gotten older, it's actually kind of returned to that childhood place of control. And it's, and I mean, my therapist would probably say that all anxiety is about control, but um, that's, I think very much, I'm like, we can get more in depth in with other things, but that's how it like has formed itself, my relationship. Okay. So you had mentioned that um, you found, you had a lot of anxiety surrounding how men perceived you. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I came out, my brother and I both came out of the closet as gay men very young. So a lot of times growing up, I would see other guys, even my brother, in relationships with men. And I'd be like, well, why? what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I like became hypersensitive to how other people perceived me and how I could make myself more attractive, um, either physically or otherwise, to possible partners. And throughout college, I experienced a few rejections where, where men didn't like the way that I looked because I was too feminine. Um, and guys rejected me for other reasons too. It's not just that I was feminine, but um, that like, I remember that really stuck with me. A guy broke up with me. He was like, I'm sorry, like you're just too feminine. And it wasn't something I even conceptualized at that point, because at that point I really wasn't doing necessarily the gender bending that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I was much more like I would wear like tight pants and I carried a purse and I had long hair, but like, really, I like, if you looked at me, you'd know I was a man. You would just probably assume that I was gay. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, I would say late high school into college, I became very, very like obsessed with, does he would does he like me? Does he find me attractive? Would he want to date me? And that I think my anxiety just got really caught up in it. How would your anxiety manifest? Like how would it present? Um, like obsessive thoughts. So it's okay. like I get I get like in um I get like sucked in. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'll like hear. Do you ever do you ever like you're sitting in a dark room or something or you're like in the house by yourself and you start to imagine that you see things. Oh yeah. (laughs) So it's like that. It's like, there's a suggestion in my brain. that's like, Oh, like he doesn't like you. And then it's like, now I, yeah, now I have to lawyer analyze, like argue, like I've got, I've got to create a whole thing on it. And really what that is, is my anxiety trying to keep my mind from relaxing. Mm Mm-hmm. So you identify as queer. Could you describe what that means and also demystify some of the definitions and labels that surround being queer and transgendered? Yeah. And LGBTQ. 
So I came out, I came out of the closet as bisexual for, I don't know, maybe a few months. And then I kind of was like, no, like I, I think I'm comfortable with the label of being a gay man. Um, and I, I really was comfortable in that experience. And then in my, I, th- I want to say my junior year of college, I started exploring more feminine things. So I started wearing makeup, like when I would go out or when I would go to like parties and stuff, just to experiment, I would wear like high heels with like my regular boy clothes. Um, and I started to think, you know, like, I want this to be more sophisticated. Like I want it to feel like like a curated look, not just like me throwing on a pair of heels, nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I started to really look at other women and see the way that other women dressed and looked. And I tried to model myself after that. And so for a while, I just kind of said like, I'm a guy who likes to look pretty, you know? And then I started examining gender as a, as a construct and not so much sex because the thing that sometimes confuses people, I'll speak for, specifically for myself, is that I do like to look very feminine, but I don't have any concerns about, I don't feel that my body is in any way not um, representative of who I am. So that's why sometimes with transgender, as a label, I kind of sit in the backseat because I'm like, I don't have the experience of a transgender woman or a transgender man. But sometimes uh, people will use the label trans feminine, which I do feel more identified with okay. because I am a man who likes to um, think of the word uh, express my femininity more. Okay. And I think in terms of being queer, I, I respect anybody who wants to use the LGBTQIA plus acronym. Um, I understand it. I think probably again in college, I got to a point where I, I thought like, I don't need this label. And I think it feels more inclusive for me personally to say queer, to mm-hmm. say, because I think it is, I think so many more people feel that on a level, like there's so many straight or um, bisexual or pansexual people who maybe feel like they're, on a continuum, they're not necessarily like I'm gay or I'm like, there might be a gay man who still finds certain women attractive. You know what I mean? Who mm-hmm. still has had, has had relationships with women, but wouldn't identify as bisexual. And mm-hmm. I think queer is a really nice in that way. Cause it's like, you know, I'm just not, I don't fit on the continuum that you've created. Coming up, discrimination in the LGBTQ community and how it contributes to anxiety and identity. So I was watching Pose recently and I was kind Mm -hmm. of blown away um, seeing when uh, MJ Rodriguez goes into a gay bar and gets yeah. assaulted and eventually kicked out. And because being in the theater community, I've always, the LGBTQ experience to me has always been a very inclusive one. And so this sort of opened my eyes to like the discrimination that is in, within the LGBTQ community. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can definitely speak to, <clears throat> to some of it. So 
as with any community, there's racism in the LGBTQ community. So I don't want to glaze over it. I just can't speak to it personally because I haven't experienced it as a white person. Mm -hmm. But um, my experience has been more so with the kind of prejudice against feminine men, right? So there's like, there, there's this, um, I don't know what to call it, but there's like an experience that many queer people have, ex have shared queer men, gay men specifically, where on um, kind of social media apps designed for gay men like Grindr or Scruff or, or one of those, sometimes in the bios of men who are stereo, st yeah, stereotypically um, masculine looking, mm -hmm. muscular, like handsome, they would say things like no fats, no femmes, no Asians. Um, I experienced very often on these social media apps, no femmes. Hmm. Like the other ones, maybe because I wasn't affected by them, I didn't pick up, but I noticed constantly that men had this hang up where they were like, guys would say like, if I wanted to be with a girl, I would be straight. Like, and I'm not saying that guys would outwardly be aggressive, but just very much kind of like I had to, I had to peruse the apps looking for somebody who would just accept that even though I look feminine, I'm just a man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> and I experienced even with my own friends where we would have conversations and they'd be like, Oh, well, I wouldn't want to date a drag queen. And I was like, but why? Like, what is it about that that bothers you so much? And it really got me into thinking about what our unconscious pre prejudices are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I would have no problem dating a feminine boy, but there are other hangups that I feel that I have had that I had to admit to myself. And I, what I used to tell my friends is I would say, you can date whoever you want and you can call it a preference. At the end of the day, it's in my eyes, internalized misogyny mm -hmm. and internalized homophobia. Because what you're saying is because you express these feminine qualities, I find you unattractive. And on a base level, what you're saying is you're looking at my, my outsides and assuming that they match my insides in a way. Mm -hmm. So like I'm looking at a, a woman and I'm assuming that she is 100% feminine again on a continuum I'm assuming that I, I'm going to look at Allison and assume that she's a homemaker who always defers to her husband and uh, likes pink and likes, likes frilly things. And you may, and that's fine. Oh no. But, <laughs> but I, like, like for example, I, I'll give you that. Yeah, and growing, growing up, I, I think I told you on the phone, I used to wear um, cowboy boots, long t-shirts and short shorts. Cause I liked the feeling of being in like heels and a dress. And I didn't mm -hmm. understand at that time that that's what I wanted to wear. Mm -hmm. I just kind of was like exploring in a way that I could. And thankfully my parents were pretty open, but I found as I was getting older that so many gay men and I don't want to pigeonhole like gay men specifically, but honestly, like if the shoe fits, mm -hmm. um, so many gay men, have this thing where they love feminine boys over here, mm. but not over here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we love drag queens. We're going to tip these drag queens, but we're not going to take them home with us. Mm. And I think that, that 
attraction and romance is a very nuanced thing to think about, right? Like you don't, you can't nitpick every single thing that you like about someone. I'm dating a white, attractive, like handsome man, you know what I mean? An intelligent man who grew up in the area that I grew up in, went to the same university that I went to. Like the only, the major difference between us is like our, the way that we grew up economically, mm -hmm. but it's like, so I can't assume that my attraction to this man didn't have something to do with the fact that we're similar. Right. But at the end of the day, if you're unwilling to examine I have like some of those friends who said they would never date a drag queen have since said, like, I realized that that was wrong for me to say that because hmm. the way I look at it is you're, you're cutting yourself off from possible connections. Right. I'm like, I'm looking for the love of my life. And if that comes in the form of another feminine boy, so be it. If that comes in the form of a masculine woman and somehow I've just become attracted to this person, that's what I mean by queer. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to stop myself from having any experience if it's going to be a healthy and positive experience for me. And I right. think in the queer community, there's always, you always want, there's, there's assimilation and then there's like anti-establishment almost. And this is something in, I'm reading how to be an anti-racist and it's something that um, Ibram Kendi talks about. And it's, there's like assimilation, segregation, and then, um, I can't remember this. And I think anti-racism, but for the purposes of this, it's like, you can say like gay men are starting to be accepted in society. They're mm -hmm. starting to be marketed to, they're starting to be seen as, oh, like, look at these, like Pete Buttigieg, like a perfect model of like a responsible and intelligent because there's this idea. And it, again, it, it comes from racism of exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. And we're going to look at somebody who's exceptional in the community and hold everyone in the community to that standard because trans women aren't like that. We have to keep them away from us mm -hmm. because feminine gay boys are too flamboyant. They're too easy to read as queer. We don't want to be associated with them. We're not trying to make straight people uncomfortable. And, the way I see it, like, I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. Right. I'm like, I'm trying to live my life. I'm not trying to force it on you. Right. But I'm like, I, I like getting my nails done. I like having long hair. I like shaving my legs because those are things that make me feel good, mm -hmm. you know? And some women are empowered by not shaving, just like some men are empowered by doing it. Right. Right. Um, so let's talk about what tools you have found helpful in dealing with all of this anxiety? So I personally like um, self-help books a lot. <laughs> I found that they really are, they really do help. Um, but specifically, I, I recently, um, not recently, but I read The Power of Now is probably the first one. And that's big on mindfulness. Okay. Um, and then I read Attached, which is about different attachment styles, secure, anxious, and um, avoidant. Spoiler alert, I am absolutely an anxious <laughs> attacher. Um, then I liked, uh, there's um, The Four Tendencies, which is a, a book about expectations and how we each react to expectations. Mm -hmm. um, Codependent No More, another great one that I read about just obviously codependency. And what I find is when I'm reading a book about self-help, I start to find connections with myself. 
And I don't know why that is something that's worked for me. So I've been in therapy now for, um, I don't know, probably about three years, four Mm -hmm. years maybe. And that's probably the biggest takeaway I've gained from therapy has been my therapist will say, hey, like, I think you should look into this book. Or, hey, there's what I'm doing right now with a 21-day meditation challenge. It's um, Deepak Chopra has like an app. Um, And I've been using it and it's wonderful. And she, her, her thing for me is I'm going to give you this. I think you should do it, see how you feel. And then let's talk about that. Cause for me, I, I need to feel agency because the whole point of anxiety is I don't feel like I have control. So when I have a book that I can read and I can say, Oh yes, I identify with that. How do I fix it? And then they say, here's how you can work on that. I'm like, Oh, perfect. That's exactly what I needed. (laughs) Have you found any, are there any specific exercises that you found to be really helpful or do you have like some sort of mindfulness tool that you use when you find yourself getting anxious? So I wish that there was something that I had that really worked all the time, (laughs) but um, I find that a big, a big, and I almost like have to roll my eyes with it because it's one of those things where it's like, sometimes you feel like you're being patronized with stuff like this. Right. Um, because it's like, I'm not a little kid, but in a way, I, that's a part of me that's reacting when I have anxiety. And things. So mm-hmm. there's a couple of things I've tried. There's one, I like, I try to give it love. Mm-hmm. I try to in the moment be like, it's okay. You know, it's okay that you're scared. It's okay that you're freaking out about this. Like, I, I don't want you to feel like you have to immediately push this feeling away because it's negative. And my therapist always says, you have to look into it mm-hmm. and Rumi has a quote that I got from uh, Wrinkle in Time that I really like. Um, and it's, uh, the wound is the place where the light enters you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to look into the wound just to be able to see like what is happening. So I find that breathing is a basic thing that they always say you have to do. It's really frustrating to try and calm yourself down. But part of the reason that I think it's so frustrating is because your brain is, is, screaming against you stopping it's like no if we don't if we don't analyze this it's over I also feel like that breathing exercises are something that really do take practice and work like it sounds so simple oh just breathe just do a little breathing exercise I know when I first started trying to do that I would hyperventilate making myself try to like to breathe in a specific way even if I wasn't having be anxious in that moment I would yeah I'd be like wait I'm breathing no no it, it took a lot of practice to make that work. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the frustrating thing about, about anxiety and the journey to, to live with it is that it, it really is not like a, a continue, like, it's not like a straight line. No. It's like you, like you make some progress, you get set back, you make some progress, you go off on a, on a side ramp, you know? And <clears throat> I, I definitely am at a place now where, I logically always know what's Mm -hmm. happening. I'm like, I know that my anxiety is taking me on a trip right now, but at the same time, it just feels so intense Mm -hmm. that it you're, you're convinced that nothing else matters. You're Mm -hmm. like, no, it doesn't matter that my anxiety is taking me on this trip. I need you to fix this for me. I need you to come and help me right now. So I think like with breathing, sometimes the trick is like watching the breath and not trying to control the breath. Right. The, the best tool that I've gotten in dealing with anxiety in the moment is acceptance mm-hmm. because I think that it's I something that it took me, yeah, it took me a really long time to be able to say like, okay, 
Like my therapist, what does she say? She says, there, um, there I go again. <laughs> and she's like, just, she's like, just acknowledge it and say, there I go again. You mm-hmm. know, there my mind goes because when you resist it, it just gets stronger. And what you need in that moment, what I need specifically in that moment is just to be accepted. Mm-hmm. It's like the little kid in me is like, everything's going to, going to crumble. We have to get control. And I have to kind of go in and be like, it's okay. It's okay that you think that you don't have the tools that I have now. Tyler is currently developing a podcast that focuses on the healthy discussion and acknowledgement of emotions. We chatted a little bit about the purpose of negative emotions and how they can inform and serve us. People don't feel accepted when they have like negative feelings Mm -hmm. on social media. We're bombarded with people's positive feelings. And I mean, of course, like that you get what you look for, but it's like there isn't a place where people in the mainstream can healthily be like, I'm feeling really jealous Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure how to deal with it. And where people can say like, yeah, everyone feels jealous. People Mm -hmm. just don't feel comfortable admitting it because they feel like it's this negative emotion that there's this stigma around. Same thing with anger or resentment. It's like we see these depictions in the media or on social media where those are negative emotions or they're seen as things to not allow to, to pollute your life. And I think, especially with meditation and anxiety, sometimes that all gets wrapped up and I'm somebody like I lived, like I said, with a lot of um, uncertainty growing up. So a big thing for me was how do I, I need to make sure that every single thing is in order. Mm -hmm. I'm going to control every single aspect of what's going on here. And then I won't have to feel anxious anymore. And the, the, the sad thing about that is that it creates anxiety. Right. And it's because you're possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, it's completely impossible. Right. But secondly, it, it really does. It makes you feel like you have control, like you can. And, and a big thing that I struggle with to this day is, is releasing the need for control. control. I feel like that's something everybody struggles with, or at least everybody I know. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's like, unless you're like somebody who doesn't care about like right. the way things turn out, it's like, and people react differently. I know people who, who crumble under the pressure of control mm-hmm. and want, and want to have no, none. Mm-hmm. And then people like me who we thrive under it. And there's times when I have to really check myself and be like, I'm trying to control this person's behavior. Right. Because that, because their, their spontaneity or their uncertainty makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And a big thing that I've had to work through in therapy is the way that you make me feel is my problem, Mm -hmm. not yours. Of course, like that's a, uh, a very simple way to say it. Because right. there are exceptions if somebody's doing something purposefully. But like, if I have triggers, my triggers are not your responsibility to fix. Right. So I've I've found definitely in discussing feelings with people, there people are hungry for just like somebody who's like, that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't yeah. have to be a super human mm-hmm. who like doesn't feel bad, who doesn't have bad days. And a good friend of mine once gave me this incredible advice. And she said, if it takes you, if it took you five years to walk into the forest, it's not going to take you five minutes to walk out. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's, it's been so beneficial for me because I'm like, I've had decades of social conditioning 
that have given me the ideas that I have. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to unravel them all in a year of therapy or two years of therapy. It's going to be a lifelong process of examining what what I'm allowing to take residence in my mind Mm -hmm. and what I'm deeming as a visitor. So my dad very often says like, when you have negative thoughts come in, you can say, okay, like if you want to, you can come in and visit if you want, like, but I'm not going to entertain you. Mm-hmm. And that's like, it's, it's, it's much easier said than done. I think a lot of stuff is with anxiety and, and self healing. Right. Because well, with, with negative emotions, I also feel that they also have a purpose. And I feel like with a lot of the self help that's going yeah. around now, and especially with social media, everything is in absolutes. And yes, yes. And that's not healthy. Um, anger yeah, I is, agree. A very, is a very useful emotion. Sadness is a very useful, like all of these emotions are now, if you continue to dwell in those places, then that's where it stops to serve you. It's but like, it's okay to have these feelings and to feel them, but then to also move on from them. And, and yeah, I feel I like when we label everything as just, that's a bad emotion. That's a negative emotion we're doing a real disservice to ourselves. Yeah, because we are incredibly complex creatures. I think so often we have to allow ourselves just to be like little kids almost, you know, like to express that intensity of emotion, Mm -hmm. whether it's anger. If I need to like go in my car and scream for 10 minutes, like (laughs) then let me do it. I think Mm -hmm. the, the trick shouldn't be like pushing negative feelings away or labeling negative feelings but encouraging people to use healthy tools to deal, to with, deal with them. Therapy is, I think, one of the most important things anyone could ever use. I think like I, I tell every single person I know, I think you should go to therapy because I think it's, it's incredible to have someone, number one, who is 100% your advocate. So I go to therapy and my therapist is not concerned about this person, this person, this person, or this person. They're concerned about me. Mm-hmm. So their concern is not if I've upset that one or this one. Their concern is how are you treating yourself? How are you managing yourself? So that's number one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and number two, therapist's job is to listen. We live in a society where people are not great listeners. They're, they're, everybody wants to be solution focused. And I really do... I, I see the value in that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people to feel that like being solution focused is a bad thing, but if being solution focused makes someone feel that they are not being heard, mm-hmm. then it's not the right, it's not a solution. Right. It's a cover up at that point. Right. Well, and I feel like you're also denying yourself part of the journey and part of whatever it is you're supposed to learn from that journey. And I'm, I am very solution focused, but I also acknowledge the value of just sitting in your uncomfortableness and and again and you know and then moving on from them but taking the time to feel and be like oh that's what this is what's causing this and you know and like you said before it's it's not you said um absolute there's so many absolutes it doesn't have to be like i am a big advocate for balance Mm -hmm. i really really think that it's important for us, especially in this, the climate that we're in right now in this country, it's important for us to be able to take a step back and say, like, am I like latching on to a mob mentality right now? Mm-hmm. Am I latching on to like my, my id, the id of my brain right now that wants just like 
to rage or it wants to like indulge in whatever, whatever mental or physical desires I'm having. And I think the, the beautiful thing about forging your own path is that you get to make it. So for me, making that path has been about balance. Mm -hmm. I, for a very long time was, was like intense emotions are bad. I'm going over here where we don't feel things where we're able to just be positive, where I'm, I'm Tyler, I'm the fun person. I always bring like good energy. I'm always going to help you. I'm never going to complain. And it, it made me so resentful, mm -hmm. so full of resentment because all I was doing was concerning myself with making other people happy. And I had a long talk with my dad um, this weekend where we talked about mindfulness and intention and I was like, you know, I really struggle with intention. I don't know really how to set intention. What do I do? And he said, well, if you look at an intention versus a goal, a goal is something that you're trying to achieve. And intention mm -hmm. is the way you want to live. Mm -hmm. And something that I've really been thinking about since that conversation is, okay, what are some intentions that I have for myself? Well, I want to be honest. I want to be kind. And I want to be assertive. Mm -hmm. I'm like, those are things or aspects of me. And they've helped with my anxiety. Because your anxiety will tell you, like, don't say that it's wrong or don't mm -hmm. say that. I, I had to, I had to send an uncomfortable message to someone, um, this week because I felt that they had disrespected my time. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I, I, I really thought about it before I sent it, I, again, I tried to be honest and kind and assertive. And as soon as I sent it, my brain started going, mm, you know, that's going to have a bad outcome. You mm -hmm. know that that person is going to be upset with you. You know, they're going to be, you're, this is going to ruin the rest of the night. This is going to be a long, and I was like, okay, Brian, I, there you go again. Right. Like I, <laughs> I understand you're just trying to protect me. You're afraid that I'm going to be hurt by whatever happens next. So you want me to be prepared. And I had a moment of clarity where I said, oh, I just want to argue. That's just what I want to do right now. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. But just acknowledge that that's what I want because no one is arguing with me. Right. I'm trying to argue. <laughs> and what I can do right now is acknowledge I'm going to close the, the door on this conversation that I had because I believe that I was living in my intentions there. Mm -hmm. I believe that I was, I was not wrong and I don't need to defend it. And that's what I'm trying to do because I, my anxiety is challenging me. Absolutely. Tyler, thank you so much for being here today. It was really insightful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my guest, Tyler C. Piccone. For more information on some of the topics and books we discussed, head on over to our website, anxietyandtheartist.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share. Until next time, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety and the Artist is produced by Grosta Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Music and engineering is by Bosco Chef. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.